Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. Divorce Dialogues brings expert guests to the airways to talk through your divorce questions and fill in the gray areas about separating. From thinking about divorce, to how to behave during divorce, to what to do after, this is Divorce Dialogues. I'm Catherine Miller. I'm the founder of the Miller Law Group, director at the Center for Understanding and Conflict, and I am on a mission to change how people divorce and help them divorce with dignity. And my guest today is Dr. Susan Heitler. Dr. Heitler is a clinical psychologist and a widely read author. She's educated at Harvard and NYU. She offers self-help information for individuals and couples. Dr. Heidler also writes for therapists, offering new understandings and treatments for anxiety, anger, depression, narcissism, and relationship challenges based out of Denver, Colorado. She's also the author of the book, Prescriptions Without Pills. Welcome, Dr. Heidler. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. My pleasure. So, you know, it's really interesting because as I'm reading your bio and about your treatments for anxiety, anger, depression, narcissism, and relationship challenges, these are all really important things when people are getting divorced. And, and I'm wondering, you know, if you have any sort of general theories about how this goes around or, or what is, is it happens for people and how they can deal with the strong emotions like anger, depression, and anxiety that come up when they go through a life challenge like divorce. That's a big question. I'll, I'll try well, to give, break it down. <laughs> it's okay. I can give the short answer first because I liked your description of divorcing with dignity. If people stay in quiet problem-solving mode, they divorce with dignity. If they can dialogue about all the issues that are coming up in a quiet problem-solving way, dialogue, cooperative, Issues get solved, people move on. Unfortunately, that's not always how it goes. No, and it's really hard to do that when, when there are some strong feelings going on. So what can people do to help themselves? Well, strong feelings is a good word to start on. I'll give you a map of what feelings come up and what to do with them. At the same time, that term strong feelings points to the solution to all of these feelings, which is first take a deep breath, calm yourself down, distract yourself, then use the interventions I'll explain. The thing is, when okay. people have strong emotions, their brains don't work very well. As you calm down, the gears can begin to turn in a normal way. You can begin to take in new information and come up with constructive ideas. So getting back to the calm zone is hugely important. Having said that, shall we go to the map? Yeah, let's do that. Okay. All of us have a map of emotions on the palm of our hands. If people put their hand in front of them, or if you are driving as you listen to the program, maybe better not just think about the palm of your hand. If you look at the base of your hand, you'll see there's kind of a bump where your wrist is. So life involves hitting bumps. What's a bump? An upsetting circumstance, a tough decision, an upsetting incident that happened. And certainly one of life's bigger bumps can be 
a decision to divorce or a need to divorce with or without the decision or coping post-divorce. All of these are bumps. And along the road of the divorce process, inevitably people hit bumps. They don't like their lawyer, their um, ex or soon-to-be ex is being so nice and that makes them ambivalent. All kinds of things can happen that are bumps. So once you hit a bump, if you think about your hand, there's five options. Now the thumb heads up. That's the road that leads to solutions. I call it find solutions road. The F is important because the other four roads that go to negative emotions also are F words. Fight, fold, freeze, and flee. So those four finger pathways lead to anger, depression. Fold road leads to depression. Fight road leads to anger. Freeze when your brain just stops working appropriately. That perpetuates anxiety. And the baby finger is the flea root. It says, oh, all this emotion, it's too much for me. I need to escape. Give me a bottle of whiskey. Hmm. Okay, that's the basic map. Okay, so let me just see if I understand you so far. I think what you're saying is that when you hit a bump in life, big, little, or small, that you really are faced with five options. And that those are either your thumb, which was, it was the up option, but I can't remember what the F word was for that. What was, what was Find that? Find solutions. Find, Find, Find solutions. solutions. So that's the calm down and think about it and come out with a plan of action. And that the other four are basically a ways of avoiding the pro of dealing with finding a solution. So, and they are fright, fold, freeze, or flee all of which really avoid finding, you didn't say this, but I think my interpretation is is that all of those are ways of avoiding really finding a resolution that, that makes sense and works yes. through the problem. Yes, they avoid finding a effective solution. And instead, fight road, for instance, gives you anger. So a lot of people think, oh, the best way to get what I want is get really mad. Well, that is a solution of sorts. Bludgeoning people, however has secondary consequences, not a great way to go. Same with no. folding. Oh, this problem's too much. I give up. I'll just give him everything I want. I just can't fight. That's the depression road. The secondary consequences of not standing up for what you want are depression and its aftermath. Yeah. I wonder about this, but my experience with people who choose to fold is yes. that that doesn't last, that oftentimes after a period of time, they get angry and they think, you know, why should I fold? And and they come back to the problem, but now with guns blazing, and that's not usually very helpful either because the other person may or may not be aware of the folding, but thinks they've resolved it. I win. <laughs> right? Exactly. And then you come back and then the folder, the the uh, relenting folder comes back in and says, you know, not so fast. I don't think so. And now everybody's angry and upset. It's a bigger exactly. bump than Those, It's easy to cross between fingers. When you've been going down fight road, at some point you might say, oh, it's too much and just give up altogether, fold and get depressed. Similarly, 
from either fight or fold road, one more thing may happen and it just triggers huge anxiety. That's the freeze. Now, we get anxious because we see something that scares us. We stay anxious because our brain is not problem-solving. So what freezes is the frontal lobes, their capacity to uptake new information, put it together in new ways, come out with a plan of action. And then baby finger flee is to avoid those other three routes. So people easily start out angry. They may then fold, still feel anxious, and stop off at the bar. So what do you think that people should do, Dr. Susan Heitler, about anxiety? Because it seems like a normal reaction to be anxious when you're faced with divorce. Whether or not you're choosing it or not, you don't know what the future holds. You don't know how the bills are going to be paid. You don't maybe know where you're going to live or whether or not you're going to spend Thanksgiving with your children, what all that's going to look like. That seems like a normal thing to be worried about. And how do you distinguish that kind of worry from the anxiety that comes from avoiding finding a resolution? Excellent question. You're absolutely right. Anything that's new and also anything where things are unclear, indecisive, oh no, what's next, will inevitably bring up an anxiety reaction. The difficulty is if you freeze like a deer in headlights and you're just, oh no, what if, or oh no, oh no, oh no, then there's no movement out of the anxiety. Similarly, sometimes your brain freezes like a computer freezes. If you ever had your computer freeze and you hear the motor whirring, it's spinning, and yet it's not processing information. So sometimes when we're highly anxious, we get that spinning feeling. Sometimes it's just deer in headlights. In both cases, when someone's anxious, the first job is just to take some deep breaths calm down, do your yoga, do your mindfulness, relax, take a warm bath, just say, wait, I can deal with this as soon as I'm calmer. Then two steps happen, gathering information and coming up with a plan of action. Now, sometimes there's an intermediate step that can be very helpful. When someone's anxious, sit down with a pad of paper or nowadays with your computer or with a friend who'll take dictation and vomit out all your thoughts, all those thoughts that generate anxiety. Oh, no, what school will the kids go to? Oh, no, where will I live? How will I survive economically? Etc. Etc. Now, what happens when people are anxious is often those questions become like a classroom of kids all crowded around the water fountain each trying to take their drink first, line the questions up. So as you list them, you number them, one, two, three, four, five. Then circle back around and take the questions one at a time. That's like lining the kids up at the water fountain. With just one question on your mind at a time and calmer because you're deep breathing and relaxing your muscles, Then you begin to map out, okay, what are my concerns on this issue? What information do I need? And then ultimately, okay, given that information, what's my plan of action? We call that finding solutions. 
So you're bringing yourself back to finding the solutions by ordering your mind in a relaxed way so that you can address problems one at a time. It's my experience also that it's impossible for people, you know, for anybody to really try to solve more than one problem at a time. Exactly. You just bounce all around and start spinning, and that's an anxious thought, which in turn makes you more anxious, more anxious. I'm Catherine Miller. This is Divorce Dialogues. We're here on WVOX 1460 AM, alternate Wednesdays in Westchester County from 5 to 5.30. But we're also available as a podcast on Apple Podcasts and all popular podcast applications, as well as on the podcast website, www.divorcedialogues.com. And I'm talking today with clinical psychologist and widely read author, Dr. Susan Heitler, about uh, the bump theory of emotions and going through divorce. And I was thinking, as you were talking about the uh, ways of dealing with, with anxiety, that many times people think that they're dealing with anxiety when they have a glass of wine. But that doesn't sound well, like the That's taking way. that baby finger root, the flea <laughs> root. Now, I won't say that 100%, because if one glass of wine calms you, Well, it's not the worst of the evils. On the other hand, people often say, well, I'll take one glass of wine. Well, one more glass. Well, one more. And then pretty soon it's every night. By that time, the glass of wine is becoming an additional problem. Furthermore, instead of leading to calming in order to think, it's just fleeing the whole problem. So... Dr. Heitler, how is this the theory of prescriptions without pills? How does that apply to people who are getting divorced? Because a lot of my clients find real help in, in anxiety medication or depression medication, you know, short term, going through the divorce. And I'm just wondering about your theory and how what they might be able to do to find another path. Yes. By the way, people can find an article on bump theory by Googling bump theory that I've written. And also, if you go to the free website, Prescriptions Without Pills, there are handouts that people can use to follow through with the various recipe prescriptions for how to handle each of those emotions, anger, depression, anxiety, and the impulse to distract yourself with some kind of addictive habit. So I think that when someone goes through a divorce, and especially a contentious divorce, they need a guidebook on how to handle all the emotions because these emotions are going to flare up right and left. And does the Prescriptions Without Pills or the Bump Theory book do that for people? Absolutely. It has prescriptions of a variety of interventions that you can do in order to go from, say, if you folded from depression to going back to redefining what the bump is and then figuring out an alternative, find solutions route. The same with anger, the same with anxiety, and the same with addictions. And Dr. Heitler, what about shame? What about people who are uh, facing divorce because they've done something that they feel ashamed about? How do you help them reach a place where they can find a good solution that isn't just selling themselves out because they feel so bad, but also takes into account their own need to heal. Yes. Often when people are heading potentially for divorce, 
they can look back and they feel quite ashamed at something they've been doing. When someone spots one of those things, like, for instance, let's say the person had an affair, I have one exercise called best possible light. If the person closes their eyes in order to think more deeply and says, if I look at that affair that I had in the best possible light, what was it intended to accomplish? Best possible light is one of many techniques for reframing what you've been ashamed of and seeing it as an attempt to find a solution to a very real problem. Not a good strategy, and at the same time, give yourself credit. It was an attempt to do something positive. Well, you know, my experience of that is oftentimes people come in, let's use your example of an affair, I think it's a very good one, and they feel ashamed and they feel guilty and they want to make it up. And then they start thinking about it. And after a period of months, usually maybe six months, they start to feel angry. And I think it's sort of what's happening here, but it's like looking at this in the best possible light means that they kind of take a right turn or left turn. And now they're saying, you know what, I had this affair and it was your fault because our relationship is so flawed. And I don't think that's what you're talking about, Dr. Heitler. I think what you're saying is this was a wake up call, you know, for us that something was happening here. What was that? I'll give you an example. I had a woman who, when she looked at her affair from the best possible light perspective, she realized, oh, I was looking for someone who could do what my father used to do, hug me, help me solve the problem, tell me it'll be all right, reassure me, calm me down. And my affair partner, who was actually fairly obnoxious in many ways, was wonderful at that. That's a skill set that my husband didn't have. Interestingly, they they are now in therapy, and her husband is learning that skill set. He never had a parent who did that himself, so it just wasn't in his repertoire. And is he eager to learn it? Absolutely. So that's one divorce that I think will not happen. That's wonderful. It's wonderful that she was able to access that part you know, so honestly and be able to articulate it. And, yes, and that well, we used best it. possible light in combination with a technique I call that was then, this is now. If people go to prescriptionswithoutpills.com, there's video examples of these techniques. And they're all techniques you can do as self-help as well as with a therapist. I'm Catherine Miller. You're listening to Divorce Dialogues. We're here on WBOX 1460 AM in Westchester, New York, alternate Wednesdays from 5 to 5.30, and we're also available as a podcast on DivorceDialogues.com and all popular podcast apps. I'm talking today with Dr. Susan Heitler, a clinical psychologist and a widely read author about anxiety and divorce. And Dr. Heitler, if people have more questions for you, you've given your website prescriptionswithoutpills.com. Is there any other place that they can get in contact with you or find out more information about you and your work. Absolutely. My main clinical website is called TherapyHelp, H-E-L-P dot com. In addition, I write for Psychology Today, so you can find my blog there. Uh, I think those are the main Okay, ways. that's good. That's a lot of resources. And Dr. Heidler, if we have a listener 
thinking about divorcing and feeling, you know, many of the kinds of feelings that people have when they consider it or just starting the process, what is your advice for them in the beginning of the process in terms of managing their feelings and managing the feelings of their spouse? The first step I would take early on, if you're beginning to have thoughts of this isn't working, I want out, is to find a really good marriage therapist. You may have to try two or three to find one that's really effective. I will say, though, that in watching the movie Marriage Story, which is causing a lot of attention these days, the movie saddened me greatly because looking at them, their case was such an easy case. I would give their case to a counseling graduate student because it's such an easy one to treat with marital therapy. Most people don't realize that as painful as their situation may seem, with better skills and some guidance, it can turn around. People can change, can find solutions. So I would start there. Oh, I might. I forgot another resource. My earlier book, Power of Two, T-W-O, has the skills people need to be able to dialogue in an open, collaborative way. That's also available on the Internet as powerof2marriage.com. So if for some reason you are having thoughts of divorce and don't want to get a marriage therapist, at least go to powerof2marriage.com. Yeah, I think that, first of all, I completely agree with you about marriage story. I think that it it really illustrated a failure, you know, of communication and, and right, a failure exactly. of finding a way to, to move forward. And honestly, I think my personal opinion is, and you can tell me if you agree or see this differently, is that most people choose divorce when, for very similar reasons, that their communication breaks down and they misinterpret, misunderstand, and then malign each other in ways that really weren't necessary if they got an earlier intervention. What do you think about that? A hundred percent, I agree. Maligning each other is a form of taking fight road. They get angry, they blame each other, they make snide remarks and act contemptuously. Then things go from bad to worse and it looks hopeless. Yeah, and I think by the time that people, and I didn't think this was true for the for the couple in marriage story, but by the time they come to my office, the damage is done. They cannot undo the pain and the hurt that they've caused each other, no matter what. And that's a sad thing. Yes, it's very sad. So get help early on or at least learn the skills for how to deal with bumps in your relationship. Now, we don't have a lot of time left, but it's a very, in the time we do have, people these days are, it's a very popular theme to be talking about divorcing a narcissist. Do you have any thoughts about that? Yes. First of all, narcissism is way overused. Narcissism, in my definition of it, is a difficulty with listening. So marriage story was a perfect example. The husband wasn't listening to his wife. So begin with listening skills. There are other character disorders like sociopathy, that is lying, and borderline personality disorder, which is excessive emotionality, that sometimes come along with the narcissism. When you have that unholy trio, 
then there's way more difficulty. Again, get help first. And if not, beware. If you're trying to divorce someone who lies, who's excessively emotional, too much anger, and also doesn't listen, beware of parental alienation after divorce. Yeah, I, I, I don't think we have a lot of enough time really to talk fully about that. But I think what you're saying about narcissism is that a, narcissism alone is a failure of inability to listen means right. that they talk about themselves all the time, as opposed to an inability to have empathy or to really think through any of the other uh, things that you discuss in the show. Is that right? Ah, that's close to it. Narcissism is another whole topic, and... That's a pretty good uh, approximation. Yeah, that's, that's interesting, because I would always think of someone who just talks about themselves all the time as kind of like a benign narcissist. They just don't know any better, as opposed to manipulative. Yes, um, narcissists, I totally agree. Once people become manipulative, now there's probably also either borderline teachers, sociopathy, or both. Dr. Susan Heitler, thank you so much for being our guest on Divorce Dialogues. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you.